Hello, and welcome to Industrial Real Estate Secrets, Episode 2. I'm your part-time host and part-time co-host, mainly, I should say, along with your soon-to-be host, Shah Asan. Excited to dive into today's episode. I had a really fun time with you on Episode 1, Shah, just kind of going over what we would be getting into in regards to details of the show, what inspired you, um, you know, how you came up with the idea, and also you know, what, what I really found compelling about your inspiration behind creating this content. So I just want to reemphasize now for anyone who did not listen to episode one, when you get a chance, go back, check it out. Uh, but long story short, Shah has identified a niche that I feel like is very, uh, there's just a lack of content and information in regards to investing in, in industrial real estate. And so he's taking the lead on it. Shah, how are you doing today? Doing well, I don't know, how about you? Fantastic, as I told you, um, I had a little, a COVIDcation, you know, some, some, may, some may frown upon this, but it's some, you know, sometimes it's kind of like you just, you got to maximize life when you get opportunity to. So uh-huh. went for a walk today with my girlfriend and we walked past a really cool hotel in town here and we're like, Hey, let's see what their rates are. And not only did we check and see what their rates were, we pretty much found out, I think we're the only ones in this entire hotel right now, which is pretty cool. <laughs> got a beautiful yeah. view of the, of the Harbor here in St. John's, Newfoundland. Uh, not a whole lot to do with industrial real estate, but good times for sure. Yeah, no, that sounds like a, it's a good way to get out and actually, uh, you know, stimulate the economy, I guess. Right. <laughs> this is, it's our stimulus package. Um, <laughs> if you feel that stimulus package. And uh, now, and actually, I want to tie that in here because one thing that I found interesting in regards to stimulus, mm-hmm. uh, or just really everything that's going on right now is Amazon mm-hmm. <clears throat> is still actually performing quite well. If not, uh, they might even have it. Their, their numbers might be better than average right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I know we touched on on them a little bit last episode. This episode, we want to focus on the topic of cold storage and vertical yeah. farms, of which I'm really interested in learning about. But are those tied at all to Amazon's business model? Of course they are. Amazon is everywhere. I mean, you look at any facet of our life, you can bet that Amazon will be involved mm-hmm. or is already involved. And with regards to cold storage and industrial facilities, uh, I think many people may have already been aware of the fact that Amazon had purchased Whole Foods uh, a couple of years back, and they kind of signaled their interest to enter into, you know, the grocery, the food industry, given the fact that food constitutes a very large portion of cold storage. You can absolutely bet that Amazon will be discussed in this podcast and for any podcast really related to industrial real estate. Okay, so I'm, I am excited to see how <laughs> their name surfaces again mm-hmm. throughout this episode yeah. um, and, and the other four that we're going to do here for this mini series. But yeah, in regards to cold storage, I mean, it's funny when I first think of cold storage, I don't know if it's because of my relatively, I don't know. I feel like I know enough about cryptocurrency to to know that that's a common phrase in crypto and blockchain is cold storage. That's where you, you basically store your cryptocurrency offline. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're, today we're talking about cold storage in regards to, I'm assuming, like agriculture and food? I mean, is that the direction we're going with this? Yeah, primarily agriculture and food. However, there's certain items that are particularly unique that don't fall into that category. So, for example, cosmetic items. So, lipstick, cologne, uh, those need to be maintained at a certain temperature to ensure uh, that a certain quality is being met. Uh, another big one besides agriculture and food is actually uh, pharmaceuticals, and that would include things like uh, vaccines. And um, 
pharmaceutically sensitive ingredients that are used for uh, medication or, um, you know, just generic pills for that matter. So those are some areas of cold storage, but you're right though, agriculture, food, that's a very big portion of cold storage. And, uh, you know, in the near distant future, I don't see that changing a whole lot. Uh, maybe vertical farming may uh, impact the way in which we, they, we uh, utilize those facilities, but for the most part, food is definitely important. But I think I'd say the next big category would be pharmaceuticals. And that's an opportunity or a niche that attracts me more so than the food, although the food is also presents a very compelling opportunity. Well, I'm really happy that you, you brought that to our attention because I think that might be, in my early findings of industrial now, something very compelling is the pharmaceutical aspect of industrial commercial real estate. That's definitely, you know, the pharmaceutical industry is always... I feel like it's rare that the pharmaceutical industry is ever struggling and they're always looking for ways to grow and to make more money, such as right now, there's a lot of action in that industry. Is there anything in particular with cold storage that you're seeing that's kind of happening for the first time now that hasn't happened before? Well, I'd say that there are definitely shifts that are occurring in the pharmaceutical industry. So for example, I don't know if you remember, but at some point, I remember uh, Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett had indicated an interest in getting involved in the pharmaceutical industry. And one of the things that I've also noticed as well is that ever since COVID-19 occurred, web traffic to CVS's um, webpage, CVS, the, uh, the retail, pharma retail pharmacy, has actually seen a 55% of increase in traffic. And more and more people are actually purchasing their uh, medication through the internet. That's pretty interesting because... Uh, or the reason that I find that interesting is that, you know, we tend to think of pharmaceuticals or sorry, the pharmacy as a retail industry. But I think increasingly in the future, we'll start seeing uh, an online component to, you know, pharmacy. You know, more and more people are going to be buying things. It's not just food. It's not just, sorry, like electronics or books anymore. It's going to be food. It's going to be, um, it's going to be medicine. And that's, that'll create more demand for cold storage facilities across the U.S. because those cold storage facilities that were previously um, located in retail settings in stores will now be in more industrial setting. And I think that will drive the impetus for demand for pharmaceutically, um, pharmaceutically designed industrial facilities. And I also think that in the post-COVID era, uh, one of the interesting um, facets that may affect this business is the fact that there'll be greater scrutiny among the U.S., uh, just the general public, actually, for, for uh, sterilization, for hygiene standards. And uh, the U.S. already has very stringent requirements with regards to um, the manufacturing and the movement of perishable goods like food. But I feel like those regulations might actually tighten a bit. And I feel like that tightening will be a product of like public scrutiny and just general um, towards uh, maintaining a higher level of hygiene. And this will essentially uh, be another driver behind cold storage facilities being found throughout the U.S. and more cold storage facilities being built. So that's an interesting facet that I think will be a definite driver of demand in the future. So many things we just <laughs> you just covered there that I, I kind of want to go down each rabbit hole, right? Uh -huh. But, uh, you know, for the sake of the conversation, I do want to bring us back real quick to the other topic of this conversation, which is vertical storage, which is another term that's very 
you know, new to me when I think vertical storage, I, I don't know, I guess I, I kind of think of <laughs> vertical storage. Help, help me I, out here. I, I think you mean vertical farming, right? Vertical farming. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a little embarrassing. Yeah. Vertical no farming. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so what do you want to know about vertical farming? You know, I have no idea what it is in regards to its subcategory of the sector. What is vertical farming? Okay. Have you ever seen a, um, a facility in which cannabis is grown? You, you kind of have, um, you have different like racks in an industrial building and each rack has like a, a bed of cannabis plants that are growing. Right. Yep. Yeah. Vertical farms are really not that much different. As a matter of fact, I, one of the, another driver that I saw of industrial real estate demand in the future was the legalization of cannabis. And I think that there will be more states that legalize it in the future. I know I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I just want to tie this in with the yeah, uh, vertical farming concept. But I do think that industrial real estate will also see significant drivers in the legalization of cannabis through the legalization of cannabis. Sorry as more and more states start to um, legalize it for recreational purposes. As a matter of fact, there's already 20 or so states that have already legalized it for the purposes of medicinal, for medicinal purposes. But we're starting to see more and more states that are going to legalize it for recreational use. So that'd be a significant driver for industrial real estate space, specifically temperature controlled facilities. Now, I know we're talking about cold storage. Temperature controlled facilities are essentially a broader category that cover cold storage. And what they are, that they're facilities in which everything from the amount of oxygen in the air, the amount of humidity in the facility, the temperature, so many different things are being controlled uh, at a very microscopic level. I mean, they're really, you know, making sure the conditions are perfect for cultivating cannabis. With regards to vertical farming, vertical farming is essentially the same idea. However, instead of cannabis, you now have regular ordinary foods such as lettuce, kale, spinach, uh, basil, and you essentially have a facility which is extremely controlled in many ways. I mean, you have everything being, you know, controlled down to the wire, down to the last decimal actually. And the reason this is done is that, you know, they've created a, an artificial condition that's, you know, not susceptible to pests, not susceptible to changes in weather, not susceptible to changes in soil condition. This is essentially create an ecosystem where vegetation uh, that you know we eat as people are now going to be grown in optimal conditions. And so it's essentially like a utopia for growing plants without having to, or edible plants in our case, vegetables, without having to be subject to you know the various unknowns, the various unknowns that let's say an outdoor farmer would be subject to. So that's vertical farming. And with regards to where we are in terms of the industry for vertical farming, it's still very early. There are certain limitations, such as the fact that we can only grow certain types of food, such as mainly leafy greens. Uh, but one of the things that caught my attention was the fact that there are substantial amounts of what I call smart money that's backing a lot of these vertical farming ventures. So for example, there are, there's, a, there's a company out in New Jersey and it is being backed right now by Google, Google's uh, venture capital arm. And that's something that does catch my attention. The name was Bowery, that was his name. It was called Bowery and it's backed by Google Ventures. It's, Google, it's backed by Google's venture capital arm and the CEO of Uber has also invested in it. And um, there's also another company out in San Francisco called uh, Plenty. 
and Jeff Bezos himself and uh, Eric Schmidt, who's an ex-Google CEO, uh, his company has also uh, invested in that company as well. So I think there's smart. There's a lot of smart money that's being involved here for some of these ventures. It's still very early, but I, I do believe that in about a decade's time, I think we'll start seeing significant advances in terms of, you know, vertical farming being able to produce more than just leafy greens, and you'll start seeing vertical farming products start to penetrate the local produce markets in their respective areas. But that's also one thing that I believe will also drive demand for industrial real estate in the future. Wow. Okay. That's, that's great. I've got some things here to follow up with you on. First of all, just to summarize. So to me, and this is this all, and in my opinion, it's all starting to make a little bit more sense now. Reason why we haven't heard a lot about this asset class is because it's, it's backed by the Titans mm-hmm. right now, the smart money. Um, yeah. There's a reason why the smart money is where the smart money is. It's there before mm-hmm. everyone else starts talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really compelling. And then I guess for you know our listeners today, anyone tuned in, where are you as an investor mm-hmm. uh, seeing opportunities in regards to investing in these, in the subcategories we covered today in cold storage and, and vertical farming? Like, I guess what markets or where in the world? Is it just the US? You know, what, what are your thoughts? Okay. So my research for the most part into the asset class is limited to the US, but I do believe there's tremendous amounts of opportunity, especially in countries that are developing. So one of the, one of the um, notable examples that I found was India. And the reason that was, an, that was something that, ver- that caught my attention was I was reading somewhere along the lines of that 25 to 50% of all vaccines are actually gone to waste because of the fact that, you know, there's just not enough cold storage facility or infrastructure in place. And I'm going to give you an interesting fact, actually. Live vaccines need to be maintained at a temperature of roughly five degrees Celsius. So in Fahrenheit, that's probably close to about 50, I think, about 50, 52. Any sort of fluctuations in, you know, temperature can really compromise the quality and the effectiveness of the vaccine. So I know it sounds kind of hyperbolic, but you know, in developing countries, cold storage is the difference between life and death for certain people, which is really astonishing if you think about it. And it's not something that people often uh, bring up when they talk right. about Right, you, th- <laughs> you never think about it. Yeah, it's, you know, refrigeration is not something that people think immediately when they think of solving giant you know, global problems. You know, there's usually things like poverty, or, you know, war or famine, cold storage in the context of, you know, vaccine transportation, it's, it's very, very important. And I think that in the U.S. and also abroad, you know, wherever, wherever there's a demand, demand sorry, for, um, for live vaccines, there will be a demand for cold storage. So that's an interesting investment opportunity that presents itself. Of course, you know, there's also, uh, aside from real estate, you know, another interesting investment opportunity that some people may want to explore is logistics sure. as a whole, because uh, logistics for the most part involves, you know, taking a vaccine from point A and moving it to point B. Just the whole process of doing so, uh, you need to, you know, you have to make sure that the vaccine, for example, stays at a certain temperature. So it's, uh, that's another area that, you know, people may want to consider outside of real estate. You know, being a real estate person, I'm just kind of focusing on the cold storage facility, but I think there's tremendous amount of potential in this particular niche that, you know, people should explore and look into more. 
Absolutely. And I think another key takeaway I have here is, although we might not think of it this way, industrial real estate really is an asset class that it's almost like no matter what, it will continue to move. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in a similar vein, I was reading a report by Reonomy, which is a, I guess, a real estate intelligence website. And they actually showed the returns for different asset classes throughout down cycles and cold, sorry, not cold storage, industrial was the best performing asset class in a down cycle. Uh, of course, they didn't, they didn't include mobile home parks, which I probably believe are the top asset class, or they didn't mm-hmm. include self-storage, which I probably believe are the number one and number two um, asset classes to have in a downturn. Mm-hmm. But among the big four, so uh, including hotels, industrial was the one that produced that, uh, sorry, performed best. So it's kind of always going to be there. And I think that the fact that it has a very strong performance in downturns is another quality about the asset class that attracts me. And ironically enough, the, the asset class that had the worst performance throughout down cycles, according to the research that Reonomy did, was multifamily, which kind of questions the, uh, the myth of multifamily resiliency. But uh, I think there are factors that may explain it, and I don't really know too much into, you know, the exact um, nature of the research, but it was just something that caught my attention because I've always thought multifamily would be far more resilient asset class. I hear you. I hear you. Well, great content today, Shah. Thank you so much for, again, being the spark to this fire, industrial real estate secrets. Looking forward to episode three. Uh, I guess throw a teaser out there. You can help me out here, Shah. What are the the two topics we're going to zone in on in the next call? Yeah, so the next call we'll talk about uh, distribution centers and we'll talk about 3D printing. And I uh, think they're both really exciting topics. Uh, distribution centers definitely has a, I guess, a much closer connection to home for most people since at some point in their lives, they've probably, you know, they've probably either bought something from Amazon, maybe even some people may have actually been to the distribution center to pick up their parcel. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a cool topic. I can't wait to talk about it. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in to episode two of Industrial Real Estate Secrets. Excited for episode three. We'll see you there. Thanks for tuning in and we will catch you in the next episode.